wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys, and welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for October 4th, 2018. I am Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. And we are nearing our five-year anniversary of Wrestle Rant Radio. It was five years from next week, next Wednesday to be exact, that I started this very show here. Uh, first kicking off on EC Radio, the Endicott College radio program, their radio um, uh, service, whatever, their radio station. And then from there, kind of grew on to nextdaywrestling.net, to an exclusive podcast here to the website, and then later on iTunes in 2017, and then here we are. And in those five years, I've had a lot of awesome guests, amazing interviews, a lot of entertaining episodes, a lot of laughs along the way, so thank you guys for supporting the show from whenever you started listening, whether it be five years ago, two years ago, last week. I appreciate any and all support the show has received up to this point. Here's hoping it's only the beginning. Only the beginning of what WrestleRant Radio can accomplish in the future. So with all that being said, guys, I am Graham Giusa Matthews. You can find me on the socials on Twitter first at WrestleRants on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews on YouTube as well. YouTube.com backslash Graham GSM Matthews or YouTube.com backslash C backslash Graham GSM Matthews. Excuse me. I don't know what would come up if you did the other thing. But anyway, you can find me on Instagram last but certainly not least at Instagrammermina. So it's I-N-S-T-A-G-R-A-H-A-M-M-I-R-M-I-N-A. I feel like Jeff Chair talking like that. But you can follow me on the IGs on Facebook, YouTube, the Twitter machine, whatever the kids are on nowadays. I'm not exactly sure what's in and what's not. But check me out on the socials when you get the chance. And also, Wrestle Rant Radio. Speaking of our five-year anniversary show next week, you can check out every archived episode of the show dating back to October of 2013 right here on iTunes. Not only only on nextdaywrestling.net, but also on iTunes. Simply search up Wrestle Rant Radio on the Apple Podcast app, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get every new episode as they're uploaded every single Thursday, but also all the archived editions dating back five years. Almost exactly. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to the show today. You get all your new episodes of the Chris Jericho podcast, Talk is Jericho, the Stone Cold Steve Austin podcast, the Something to Wrestle With podcast, whatever you're listening to in the podcast world right now, you can also listen to WrestleRant Radio episodes on the weekly by simply subscribing to the show on iTunes. It's now easier than ever to listen to WrestleRant Radio. So what are you waiting for? Download the show today on iTunes. So as we get started here today, folks, a lot to talk about from Ring of Honor, Death Before Dishonor, from last Friday night on pay-per-view. A, a good show. Not one of Ring of Honor's better pay-per-views in 2018, if I do say so myself. But it was all right. Uh, we also have WWE Super Showdown coming up this coming Saturday in Australia. Melbourne, Australia will be a big show. 
Um, I don't think it'll be the most newsworthy event in WWE history, um, but we'll see You know what it entails and what it will consist of come Saturday. I will be breaking down, giving my picks, previews, and predictions for every match in the card coming up here on the show today. Also talking Raw and SmackDown from this past week. But before we get into any of that, got to talk about this breaking news from this past week. Neville has returned to wrestling. Now get this, I tweeted this out on Tuesday. That Neville returned to wrestling on Tuesday, October 2nd, 2018 in Dragon Gate of all promotions. Now it's not really so random as you might think. I think many people expected him to show up, myself included, at All In last month. Maybe in Ring of Honor, likely New Japan or Impact, I doubt Impact, but I, I figured him for you know I figured he would show up in one of those big stages. All in I felt was the best place possible for him to make a comeback to wrestling because it really was a celebration of all things indie wrestling. And Neville Puck really played a huge part in that um, years before he joined WWE, but he wasn't there. He did resurface on Tuesday in Dragon Gate, uh, winning his match there, looking the same way he did a year ago when he left WWE. But get this though. He returned to Dragon Gate on October 2nd, 2018. His last televised appearance with WWE, October 2nd, 2017, when he appeared in the main event segment of Raw that week. Um, I think it was all the cruiserweights like surrounding the ring as Enzo Amore just ran down on each one of them. And then Kalisto came out, debuted as part of the cruiserweight division. And it was only a week later that Kalisto debuted, or made his cruiserweight debut. I think he debuted the next night on 205 Live, but like... He debuted as a Cruiserweight on Raw and won the Cruiserweight Championship the very next week after joining the division. And there were rumors at the time that it was supposed to be Neville and all this other stuff. He walked out, and here we are. He has not appeared on WWE TV since. He was only granted his release officially, according to PW Insider, only about a month ago, like days right before All In in late August. So it was a pretty big deal for WWE to let him go. I think the rumor was that they're going to wait until his contract ran out because he knew that he'd be a big asset elsewhere, which is true because he will be. And I talked a little bit more about this on Hashtag Ask this past week on the YouTube channel, but what's next for Neville? I talked a little bit about this year on WrestleRant Radio as well about a month ago when the news first broke that Neville had since been officially released from WWE, but he has now resurfaced in Dragon Gate, which is where he kind of made a name for himself before coming to WWE in 2012. So where to now? Does he stick with Dragon Gate? Does he go elsewhere as well? I think he will. I'm not sure what the contract status and how they work over there is. I'm not sure if you can work for both Dragon Gate and Noah or Dragon Gate in New Japan. I have no clue how it works. I, based off what I know, and this is pure speculation and, and, and just, I don't, I'm not exactly sure. I think you can only work for one company. Because I know like Hideo Itami was a big Noah guy before he came to WWE in 2014. I didn't see many matches of his in New Japan. So I think you're strictly assigned to one company. when you, It's like Impact in, in WWE, I think. I know their TV is not as big as it is here in WWE in the United States. Um, but I think that's how it works over in Japan as well. So if so, Neville might be sticking it out a little longer with Dragon Gate, which I think is cool, kind of going back to his roots before he goes elsewhere. I think him in New Japan is only inevitable. Neville has to know, being the wrestling aficionado, the seasoned vet that he is, the guy has got to know that, I don't know if the real money's in New Japan, I'm sure it is, but the real buzz right now is with New Japan Pro Wrestling. With all the guys they have over there at the moment, from the Bullet Club to Kenny Omega, Okada, Tanahashi, Will Ospreay, who can he can have an amazing match with, who I think Ricochet tweeted that out this past week too, and the Neville news first broke on Tuesday morning, 
everyone was exploding on Twitter about Neville returning to Dragon Gate. And I think Ricochet was among those that chimed in saying, you know, oh man, I can't wait for Neville versus <laughs> Will Ospreay. And it's like, dude, you work for the company he just got let go from. Like, is that something you can even really say? I, I guess Neville, or rather Ricochet, gives no shits. I guess not. Um, but anyway, though, I thought that was really funny. But yeah, I think Neville in New Japan is only inevitable. Um, the matches you can have over there as part of that, what is it, the open weight division, uh, their version of the cruiserweight division, um, the light heavyweight division, whatever it is, the lightweight division, I think are endless. The possibilities are endless for the matches you can have in that division with so many different people. Um, and even beyond that division with people like, like I said, Marty Skrull, Will Ospreay, Okada, Tanahashi, there's so many dream matches to be had in New Japan with Neville, and he can still have those dream matches on the indie circuit by competing elsewhere first. I'm not saying that completely disqualifies, you know, him from competing against those guys if he doesn't join New Japan at some point. I think he could still have those amazing dream matches on the indie circuit. Like, for example, Kenny Omega is facing Ray Phoenix, Phoenix from Lucha Underground, at a Northeast Wrestling show. I think it was the show I mentioned here on the show either a week or two ago. At a Northeast Wrestling show next Thursday, or not next Thursday, I mentioned it last Thursday, uh, next month rather, in early November. That's a dream match. Kenny Omega and Ray Phoenix is going to be fucking amazing. I think it's taking place in Poughkeepsie, New York, if I'm not mistaken, Poughkeepsie or Fishkill, one of those two, one of those type of cities that NEW typically goes to in that New York market. That's going to be an amazing match, and Ray Phoenix isn't in New Japan. Kenny Omega's not in Lucha. He's not in Impact, so we can't really see that match on TV elsewhere right now. So why not, you know, fucking do it at an indie wrestling show? I don't see why not. So we still could see Neville and Will Ospreay, Neville and Marty Skrull in other promotions that aren't Ring of Honor in New Japan. That being said, I think Neville in New Japan is a perfect fit. So I think having him go to Dragon Gate first, not having him, it's his choice. But I think him going to Dragon Gate first is a great idea. That's where he kind of made a name for himself. And then hopefully at some point he can kind of journey over to either New Japan. Ring of Honor would love to have him. Ring of Honor, the issue they have right now, I love the product, I love a lot of the guys in that roster, but when you take away the Bullet Club, there's really not a lot there to work with. That's the issue. And with the rumor going around right now, which I don't think is going to be true, that Bullet Club as an entity might be going to WWE together in early 2019, Ring of Honor would be fucked. New Japan, they'd be fucked too, but not to as big of an extent, because they have still Okada and Tanahashi and... Abushi and so many others in their promotion on their roster. Ring of Honor has got a very talented roster. Um, they just let go of Punishment, uh, Punishment Martinez. We'll talk about momentarily in the Ring of Honor Death Before Dishonor review. But, you know, they let go of him. They still have the Briscoes, who have been a, a mainstay in that company since the beginning, essentially. They have him. They have Kenny King, which is great. They have Jay Lethal still. Shockingly, I thought Jay Lethal would have left by now. And I love Jay Lethal. I love him in Ring of Honor. He's still the Ring of Honor world champion as of this recording. Um, but I could very well see him too going to WWE in 2019. It's really now or never for Jay Lethal. He's not getting any younger. He's still one of the best in the world right now. So Jay Lethal could also be WWE bound by 2019 as well. But yeah, when you take away the Bullet Club, including Cody, Marty Skrull, the Young Bucks, and Adam Page, Ring of Honor is kind of depleted. What, Bully Ray? Uh, come on. Uh, Cole Cabana? Eh. Flip Gordon? Big star. I like Flip Gordon a lot, but you need more than that. So, I think Neville going to Ring of Honor would be a great get as well. I kind of laughed at the idea of him going to Impact. I mean, it's really not fair to Impact to say that, because Impact has come a long way. 
I don't talk about Impact too much here in the podcast. They may have talked about the... I, I'm pretty sure I did. I'm pretty sure I reviewed the Slammiversary pay-per-view a few months ago. And that was a great show. They got Bound for Glory coming up next weekend. So if I remember, I'll definitely do predictions for that pay-per-view uh, next Thursday here on the show. But yeah, uh, Impact has really turned it around in 2018. Impact is having a hell of a year for itself with a great roster. And they finally found a good core group of people to build around. From Brian Cage, Austin Aries, Pentagon Jr., Ray Phoenix. Now, granted, a lot of those guys are not like their own stars, like homegrown talent. But do they really even have any homegrown talent left? Not really. Um, they got to pick and choose from other promotions. Like Austin Aries just left WWE about a year ago. Cage, Phoenix, Pentagon, all from Lucha and other promotions. Uh, also competing in Japan at the moment. So... Um, who else do they have right now? They're building around Moose. They have Killer Cross, Eddie Edwards. Like, that's a good core group of people to be building around. And I think adding Neville to the mix would be even better. I would, I mean, come on. The X Division, give me a fucking break. I know that's exactly where they would want him to be, and that's where he would thrive. Rich Swan, sure. Rich Swan's a very good hand. The guy's a great wrestler. Rich Swan, Rich Swan will never be world champion. So it's fine to put him in the X Division. Same thing with Matt Seidel. The guy's a great talent. But he's not world champion material. Neville, eh, not to say he is world champion material, but the guy's a way better wrestler than both of those guys. And Neville deserves to be mixing it up with people that, you know, just because he's what, five foot eight or whatever it is, does not mean that he should be relegated to the cruiserweight ranks like he was in WWE, or the X Division ranks, or the light heavyweight division ranks in New Japan, whatever it's called. The guy deserves to be facing the best of the best in the world right now. And um, I think in Impact, you can face those type of people. I would love to see him rekindle his rivalry with Austin Aries in Impact. That would be fucking awesome. I love their feud in WWE. Didn't exactly end the way I wanted it to, with Neville winning all three matches and Aries looking like a loser. But at least Aries' final WWE match was a good one with Neville at the pay-per-view Extreme Rules in 2017. So, um, you know, Neville and Aries would be a great money feud for Impact. I'm not sure they can pay Neville probably what he wants. I'm sure, I'm sure he's looking for a lot of money coming off his WWE release. I mean, the guy's a very notable name. I know he was only in the Cruiserweight division for a few years uh, before he got cut. The Cruiserweight division, he was a part of NXT. Didn't really do much else in the main roster before um, he was transitioned into the 205 Live ranks in late 2016. But still, people know Neville. The guy was in WWE for a few years before he left. He was in NXT for a while. The longest, One of the longest reigning NXT champions of all time. The longest cruiserweight, division, uh, cruiserweight champion, as of now anyway, until Cedric... I mean, I guess he might not break the record if he drops the belt to Buddy Murphy on Saturday at Super Showdown, but Neville, as of right now, still is the longest reigning cruiserweight champion in WWE history, or at least since the relaunch of the division in 2016, I should specify. I think Gregory Helms held the belt at one point for like a year and a half, like 14 months or something ridiculous like that. I don't think that'll ever be beaten. Um, but anyway, what I was going to say was that Neville is going to be a great addition to whatever company he ends up joining, whether it be Impact, whether it be Ring of Honor, whether it be New Japan, Neville is going to thrive wherever he goes, and I'm excited to find out where he's going to journey next, beyond Dragon Gate. So moving into Ring of Honor, talking about Ring of Honor here, Death Before Dishonor, their pay-per-view from Friday night, a good show. No, I wasn't disappointed that it wasn't like a blow-away show, like you have to see it, it really wasn't that must-see of a pay-per-view. It really wasn't. If you missed the show, you didn't miss much. The top two matches were terrific. Everything else was just kind of there. And it was disappointing, maybe slightly underwhelming might be the right word, from an in-ring standpoint. Because the first half of the card, the first three quarters maybe, 
were all, you know, they consisted of some very solid, well-wrestled matches, but I've seen better on these Ring of Honor pay-per-views. So I thought it was a good show coming off of All In. They kind of stole their thunder a bit. We kind of got the scraps from All In. I thought the real um, attraction from Ring of Honor was on that show. But this was still a solid show all in all. Um, They kicked out the pay-per-view with Kenny King taking on Jushin Thunder Liger. A good match. Kenny King's been teasing a heel turn in recent months. First beating Marty Skrull, then Adam Page a few weeks ago on Ring of Honor TV. And now Liger. Um, I'd like to finish your Liger. I don't think he was actually hurt. But he was, you know, obviously as part of the match. He was injured and he couldn't compete. He couldn't continue. And King first showed sympathy for Liger before then just picking him up, hitting his finisher, hitting him a spine, hitting him with a spine buster, I think it was. Hitting him with a spine buster, pinning him for the one, two, three, and it was over. So Kenny King showing absolute no remorse for the legend of Japan. Jushin Thunder Liger gives no fucks about Thunder here. Uh, picking up the victory as he should have. For the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championship, I thought this was a good match. Another injury, but for real this time, I believe. Um, it was the Briscoes taking on the addiction from SoCal Uncensored. Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian. Um, good match here. Could have been better had Frankie Kazarian not been hurt. So he got hurt about halfway through, got busted open. He was out for the rest of the match. He never came back. Uh, Scorpio Sky was at ringside, but never really factored into the finish at all. Um, Daniels essentially working a handicap match. For the remainder of the bout, the Briscoes went over in decisive fashion. It was a good match. Daniels was the underdog here. I thought it was good. I like the storyline they're telling at the moment that SoCal Uncensored, their contracts are up at the end of this year. And if they can't win championship gold and hold on to it when their contracts expire, they're gone from Ring of Honor. So maybe by winning the world championships or winning the world tag team titles at some point, they can maintain their spot on the roster. Now, I'm not sure if that's legit or not. I'm sure it's obviously part of the storyline. But that could very well be a real thing where Daniels and Gazarian are on their way out of Ring of Honor. They've been back now in the company for four, four and a half years. There's really not much else left for them to do. I will say this, though. They've really reinvented themselves as part of this SoCal Uncensored faction. Them and Scorpio Sky have been a breath of fresh air in that six-man tag team division in Ring of Honor, which is really lifeless on paper. I mean, they have some good trios. They have Silas Young, Bruiser... I keep unwanted to say Bruiser Brody, but it's the Beer City Bruiser, which... Who isn't nearly as good, but Beer City Bruisers, Silas Young, and Brian Malonis, they're a trio. They have the any incarnation of the Young Bucks. They have the Kingdom, obviously, and SoCal Uncensored, and really not many other trios. Um, well, you know, which is fine, but uh, it, it, I feel like those championships are completely worthless. I honestly forgot that the Young Bucks and Cody were the Ring of Honor World Six Men Tag Team Champions until they defended those titles on Ring of Honor TV this past week. So, those championships, in my opinion, are completely pointless. But what I'm trying to get out here is that the addiction, SoCal Uncensored, they've really been reborn since appearing, in my opinion, on Being the Elite. I think Being the Elite played a huge role in getting those guys over as babyfaces. The whole, SCU, this is the worst town I've ever been in. That whole shtick, people love it. People ate it up. People are still eating it up. And I think um, what they got going right now with this whole Ring of Honor, we're going to leave if we don't win championship gold. I like what they're doing here. I like what they're going for. I'm interested to see where it's going to go. And I think it will culminate in a championship victory for them in final battle. I think it has to. Because if it's not the addiction, who else is left for the Briscoes to face for those World Tag Team Championships? They've already beaten the Motor City Machine Guns. That's who they beat for the belts to begin with. And not to mention Alex Shelley retired from the ring a few months ago. So that's a no-go. Uh, no, motor, no Motor City Machine Guns, no Young Bucks. I mean, I guess the Young Bucks could go back for the belts, but they were already beaten by the Briscoes back at uh, Best in the World a few months ago. 
maybe coast to coast. I mean, if they're, I know they're on their way back to Ring of Honor after taking some time off. Maybe best friends. Uh, I, I don't know. Those don't really scream obvious candidates to me to take those championships from the Briscoes. So um, maybe another incarnation of the Bullet Club. I'm not really sure. So I would give the belts to the Addiction at Final Battle to kind of pay out their whole year-long storyline, and the Briscoes can kind of do their own thing from that point forward. I had read the other day the Briscoes had recently celebrated that um, they celebrated 1,000 days as tag team champions in Ring of Honor, which is pretty fucking crazy. Um, They've been champions, what now, eight times maybe? And considering Ring of Honor's only really been around since 2002, that's a hell of an accomplishment. So congrats to Ring of Honor on that and the Briscoes on that. Uh, for the Women of Honor World Championship, Sumi Sakai taking on Tennille Dashwood at Death Before Dishonor. Real good match. Easily the best thing on the show up to this point. Which is saying something, because the women on these shows, and really just in general before Supercard of Honor back in April, they were an afterthought. Uh, the women were really not having that good of matches. No one really cared about the division. But they brought in people that people care about that the fans care about, including Tennille Dashwood. Sumi Sakai has been built up very well. They just signed Madison Rain, who we'll get back to in a second. Um, they have a nice core group of women to build around in that division. And all the matches are fucking great. They're borrowing women from uh, Stardom, I believe, and they're having amazing matches as well. So they're bringing that style to Ring of Honor, which is amazing. But yeah, this was a real good match. I really did think Tennille Dashwood would take the championship here. She did not. Um, she passed out to Sakai. The crowd was not all too happy with that finish. I'm sure they were hoping Dashwood would take the championship. And I think at some point she will. Um, I had just read right after the pay-per-view that she had signed a contract or was on the either was on the verge of signing a contract or had officially signed the Ring of Honor. So if she's not close, if she's not already there, she is close to signing full-time with the company. And that might be why they didn't put the championship on her. That and the fact that she's been injured now for a while. I think in this match she had her shoulder taped up and wrapped up, which has been the case now for a while. So hopefully she could take some time off, get that whole thing healed up, and get better, and get healthy, and then come back and beat Sakai for that championship. But she was attacked backstage after the match. Um, the, the attacker was not shown. She was just shown laying on the ground, and we were told by the commentators that she was ambushed backstage. And I think it could be Madison Rain. I'm not really sure who else in that division would make sense. Maybe uh, Kelly Klein, I guess? I don't know. With Sakai, too, she's already beaten, like, almost everyone on that Women of Honor roster, which is why I was surprised that she won here. She's already beaten Kelly Klein. She's already beaten Dashwood now, Madison Rain, um, Jenny Rose, and a few others. She's already faced a lot of, uh, a lot faced and beaten a lot of women from that division. There's not many women left that she hasn't faced slash beaten, which is why I would put the championship on Dashwood here. But if she's hurt, she's hurt. She's got to take them off. Hopefully she's back soon. Um, yeah, this was a good match. I do assume that when Dashwood returns, it'll be revealed that um, Madison Rain was the one that took her out. Hey, what about this? What about this? What if the same person who attacked Neil Dashwood at Death Before Dishonor was the same person who attacked Alistair Black in NXT? Think about it. It's really not as far-fetched as you think if it was Madison Rain. Now, I have no idea why Madison Rain would want to attack Alistair Black, but she was backstage at Full Sail. Maybe not that day, but... She was at full sale for a while for the Mae Young Classic, and Aleister Black was attacked right around the time that Madison Rain would have been there to compete in the tournament. And now she's back in Ring of Honor attacking Tennille Dashwood when she wasn't signed by WWE. Maybe that's why she wasn't signed, because she attacked Aleister Black. Obviously, I'm just kidding, but you never know. Next match on the show we had for the Ring of Honor World Television Championship, Punishment Martinez taking on Chris Sabin. Uh, good match here, nothing too special. I like Sabin a lot. Um, he's really not the most charismatic guy in the world. I think he was better off with Alex Shelley in there. 
their in-ring repertoire kind of spoke for their charisma because their mic skills have never been the strongest. But I thought this was a good match, though, really just kind of a way to build up Martinez only for him to uh, be confronted afterward by Jeff Cobb, who's been showing up in Ring of Honor on uh, for weeks on end now, crashing the top prospect tournament, setting his sights on the Ring of Honor World Television Championship. So I like that tease. Speaking of Martinez, uh, spoiler alert here. If you don't want to hear spoilers, skip ahead by a minute or two. But Punishment Martinez is gone from Ring of Honor as of this recording. Um, he dropped the championship to Jeff Cobb, the aforementioned athlete from Lucha Underground. If you didn't already know, he is the um, Matanza Cueto. He is Matanza Cueto from Lucha Underground. But um, yeah, he has since left Ring of Honor. Apparently, he is WWE bound. So uh, Punishment Martinez, I've really taken a liking to in recent years. The guy has great size. He's a monster among men. And he can go in the ring. He's really what WWE wants Baron Corbin to be. He has that similar aura and presence about him, but 10 times better in the ring. 10 times better. And way more exciting to watch. Um, so I like the idea of putting the championship on Cobb. I mean, that might be airing on an upcoming episode of TV, of Ring of Honor TV. But um, yeah, Martinez is now gone from the company. And really, everyone's jumping ship. A lot of these people are leaving Ring of Honor for WWE. I think he'd be a great fit for NXT. And the guy's awesome. So I think Ring of Honor, or rather NXT, could use someone like him, a guy of his size, that's still also very good in the ring. Now, I know we have Keith Lee, and there's a few other people that are on the bigger side, but hey, Punishment Martinez versus Aleister Black, sign me the fuck up. What if Punishment Martinez was the one, if they reveal him as the attacker behind Aleister Black? Obviously won't happen. If he's coming to WWE, it won't be anytime soon, probably by the end of the year, if not early 2019. And it would also make no sense because he's been in Ring of Honor now for years, let alone the last couple of months since Black was first attacked. So unless he was in Florida, I doubt Martinez is going to be the one to be revealed behind the attack. But it would be cool. I think Martinez Black feud would be money for NXT, if not on the main roster. But I trust NXT would do it the best, would do it right. In a tag team tables match on this show, we had Flip Gordon and Colt Cabana taking on Bully Ray and Silas Young. Um, this match was all right. I thought it was entertaining. Too many... Hocus Pocus and shenanigans and all that other bullshit, but the match was fine. Uh, Bully Ray and Silas Young did go over here. It was elimination style, so Cabana was the first one out, and then Flip Gordon, who put up a bit of a fight, taking out Young first, or rather Bully Ray, and then it was down to Gordon and Young. So I'm glad Young really got the deciding fall here. I thought that was cool. I'm liking the partnership, the on and off again partnership between Bully Ray and Silas Young. They have a good dichotomy, a good dynamic, a good chemistry. So I'm hoping that uh, we see more of that in the upcoming weeks on Ring of Honor TV. But this was good. Flip Gordon is great, too. I like Flip Gordon a lot. I met him for the first time about two and a half years ago at an independent wrestling show. I had no idea who he was before that night. Got to interview him as part of a school project talking about wrestling injuries. And the interview actually is up here on, or not here, but it's on the YouTube channel. It's very brief. It's only a couple minutes. But the guy was nice enough to stay back after the show. It was a chaotic wrestling show up in Mass. I think it was, um, I forgot where it was, Lowell maybe? I think around there. In April of 2016, so it's great to see how well he's doing now as part of the, no, he's not part of the Bullet Club, but he's on Being the Elite. He was in All In, at All In, competing for the Ring of Honor World Championship. That guy's got a future. I could certainly see Flip Gordon going to NXT down the road. I know he recently um, signed to the Ring of Honor, like a full-time deal for the next two years or so. Um, but the guy is awesome, and I could see him going to WWE at some point down the road, maybe for the 205 Live division, for the Cruiserweight division on the main roster, if it's still around by that point. 
But um, yeah, Flip Gordon is great. Just wanted to mention that. So now our first of two main events on, sh on this show, 10-man tag team match. Bullet Club consisting of Cody, Adam Page, the Young Bucks, and Marty Skrull taking on Chaos consisting of Kazusuke Okada, Tomohiro Ishii, Rocky Romero, and the best friends, Trent Beretta and Shucky T. This was a lot of fun. Served absolutely no purpose from a storyline standpoint. Now that the Bullet Club is back on the same page, they're all getting along. You know, No pun intended with Adam Page being involved here. Um, I mean, they tease tension at some points, but only because of miscommunication, not because they plan on splitting them up. And to me, I don't know, it kind of feels like a placeholder. Like a, like a just, they're kind of in a placeholder pattern right now because Ring of Honor doesn't really want to commit to these guys as top people in their, in their company, which is really, I mean, I know Cody and the Young Bucks are the current Ring of Honor World Six-Man Tag Team Champions, but who cares? Those belts mean nothing, let's be honest. Um, I, I would assume that Ring of Honor is just kind of waiting it out. Otherwise, why would Cody and Marty not be involved in the World Championship picture again? I know they went for the belt earlier this year back at Best in the World and lost, but um, I don't know. I just, it just kind of feels weird that they're not really doing anything right now. And they're having great matches. This match was tremendous. Um, it was a lot of fun. They made the most of the time they had, which was like 20 minutes. And again, it was just complete nonstop action, total nonstop action, pun intended, I guess, uh, from start to finish, and I enjoyed it a lot. But um, yeah, it's kind of weird that the Young Bucks aren't really doing more right now, and they're kind of in a holding pattern. Maybe Ring of Honor is waiting to find out until they re-sign officially at the end of the year, but that's not for another two or three months. I guess we'll get a better idea when they start building the card for Final Battle. Um, like if Cody and Marty and the Young Bucks aren't in marquee matches on that show, and instead they just kind of get thrown into another multi-man match on that pay-per-view, then we know for a fact that, okay, they don't really want to build around them right now uh, just because they're waiting to see if, if they're going to re-sign full-time with them or not. We're not sure. Adam Page, on the other hand, has apparently re-signed already with Ring of Honor. WWE had an interest, he turned down an offer, and he's sticking with ROH and uh, New Japan and wherever else he wrestles, which is cool. So that, to me, I mean, it was already not obvious, but I said from the get-go, I don't think Bullet Club's going to WWE. I don't think Cody's going back to WWE, at least right now. I don't think Marty Skrull's going to WWE. I know his girlfriend's currently there, Deanna Perrazzo. She's in NXT now. I don't think he's going just yet. I don't think the Young Bucks are going just yet. I don't think Kenny Omega is going just yet. So Adam Page saying no does not surprise me at all. Now, that being said, it would be pretty bad. A lot like the whole Bobby Roode, James Storm situation from a few years ago, it would be pretty bad if Page said, oh, no, I don't want to go to WWE. And then all these other guys are like, well, fuck it, we're going to WWE. And then they leave Adam Page on his own Ring of Honor. That would kind of suck. Like like I said, with Rude and Storm, Storm showed up in NXT and he didn't sign. He was there for a cup of coffee, didn't sign, went back to TNA because they offered him more money and it was a better schedule for him at that point. He had, you know, he just had a kid and he had to be there for the kid. He couldn't leave and do all these house shows with NXT. So anyway, he went back to TNA, reunited with Bobby Roode as part of Beer Money. They had a great little run together. And then Bobby Roode left, and then he went to NXT instead. So it's like two ships passing in the night. And the same thing can happen with Adam Page and uh, the rest of Bullet Club before long if they don't play their cards right, I guess. I don't think they are leaving. I think they're staying right where they are right now. I could be wrong. You never know. Um, Cody's teasing the idea. Oh, you never know. We don't know what we're going to be doing. Gonna, oh, the, 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 the ball's in our court, whatever. You know, I, I, don't, I think that's all... Mind games with the fans. I don't think they're going anywhere. So people worry that WWE would ruin them, not use them correctly, which is a very real concern. 
And I'm a WWE fan, but even I can admit that not everyone is safe in the WWE system. Because WWE likes to do this thing where they pick up as many talent as possible from other promotions. Not because they have any intent of using them, but because they want to get them away from other promotions. I feel like that was the case with a guy like Mike Kanellis. They had absolutely no desire, no interest in signing Mike Kanellis. But because he was a big star over in TNA, they signed him. But now he's been a main event jobber now since he returned a year and a half ago. Or since he debuted in the company a year and a half ago. So anyway, um, I think it's a very real possibility that I don't think they would bury the Young Bucks. We would not be seeing the Young Bucks versus fucking Titus Worldwide on main event every single week. Not in the main event, on main event. You know, the show that you forgot existed. Um, that debuted six years ago yesterday on Ion Television and now doesn't even have a proper home. It airs on fucking Hulu now and consists of Kurt Hawkins versus No Way Jose every single week. Yeah, I don't think they'd be that low on the card. I think they'd be treated as bigger stars, but tag teams in WWE, they have a very short shelf life. Like, when was the last time we saw Anderson and Gallows on TV? Exactly. So I would hope that the Young Bucks have a better chance of succeeding in the company. I think they would. I think they would do well, but I don't think now is the time. Now, I know I'm going off on a tangent here from Death Before Dishonor, but I wanted to mention that. And then we get to the main event on the show, Jay Lethal versus Will Ospreay for the Ring of Honor World Championship. This was a terrific match. Every bit as good as you think it would be, considering the competitors involved. Jay Lethal is outstanding. Ospreay is outstanding. And you had to know Ospreay wasn't winning the championship. I know they teased, oh, you know, he hasn't... He's not signed to a contract in Ring of Honor, which was a dead giveaway he wasn't winning. And I know they did that same storyline with Cody about a year ago, but Cody was more of a lock. He was making regular appearances on the shows every single week, even though he wasn't signed yet by Ring of Honor. Um, Give me a break. Will Ospreay probably is not signed. I know he had said a while ago that he did not re-sign to the Ring of Honor for a few different reasons. I know he was in like the final battle opener last year, losing to Matt Taven, which is fine. I like Matt Taven. More on him in a second. But kind of seemed like a waste of Will Ospreay. And then we didn't really see him all too much after that. Now he's back competing for the World Championship. So I didn't think he would win. But from an in-ring standpoint, I thought this was a great match. And the crowd really got into it down the stretch when they teased a few different year falls. Again, you knew Ospreay wasn't winning. But there were a few close moments where you thought, okay, maybe he'll win the championship. So I thought that was really, really well done. Overall, excellent main event. Afterward, the kingdom made their presence felt. By uh, laying out and taking out Will Ospreay, Jonathan Gresham, and Jay Lethal. So Matt Taven debuting a new hair- hairstyle here. Um, shaving off his head. I mean, he has like a little mini mohawk. But he uh, cut all of his hair off for the most part. And looking more uh, badass than the last time we saw him. So the Kingdom playing out their conspiracy theory angle. Matt Taven is the uncrowned world champion, he says. And wants a shot at Jay Lethal's Ring of Honor World Championship. Now, that would seem to indicate to me that we're getting a Jay Lethal, Matt Taven main event at Final Battle. Listen, I love Matt Taven. The guy is great. But Matt Taven and, and, and Jay Lethal, as a main event for their biggest show of the year, does, does not do it for me. But then again, what would it be? If it's not Lethal and Taven, which does make sense from a storyline standpoint, because Taven was supposed to get a shot at the World Championship months ago, never got it. He was involved in a four-way, wasn't pinned. So, and he's also been having great performances week in and week out for months now. So I do like the idea of him getting involved in the world championship picture, but it's not a final battle worthy main event. So again, um, maybe they do that on TV between now and then, but if it's not Matt Taven, then who else would it be? Lethal and Cody, been there, done that. Lethal and Matt, uh, Marty Skrull, been there, done that. 
I mean, maybe Adam Page. Uh, it kind of seems random, I guess. Martinez is gone. They don't really have many other stars. Jay Lethal and Bully Ray, like, that's not a final battle-worthy main event, in my opinion. Silas Young, Jay Lethal, been there, done that. Flip Gordon, maybe, been there, done that, actually. We saw that at All In. So, again, um, I don't know what you do with Jay Lethal at final battle if he's not facing Matt Taven, which I assume he will be, and that's fine. I like Matt Taven. I just don't really see it as a final battle-worthy main event, like I said. So the match was uh, great, though, despite the fact that the aftermath kind of gave away what we're seeing in Final Battle in a few months, which is fine. they got to set the stage and get people looking forward to what's happening next. Um, but it just doesn't do a lot for me on paper. Overall, though, I thought this was a very good show. It wasn't a great show by any means. I thought it was fine. Um, not nearly as strong as some other Ring of Honor pay-per-views I've seen, especially in 2018. I thought Best in the World was very, very good. All In wasn't really a Ring of Honor pay-per-view, but it was a good show. Um, what else from 2018? Supercard of Honor I thought was a good show, not a great show. So maybe they've had better pay-per-views in the past, that being in like 2017 or so. Anyway, though, I thought this was a good show. Check out at least the final two matches, Bullet Club and Chaos, and then G Lethal and Will Ospreay for the um, Ring of Honor World Championship. Those two final matches really made this show worth watching, if only for that final half hour, 60 minutes or so. Then we transition into my Monday Night Raw review from this past week. Um, we'll go quickly through this before I get into my predictions for Super Showdown at the end of the episode, and also talk quickly about SmackDown. I do want to note this real quick. This was from the Wrestling Observer Radio at the mouth of Dave Meltzer, and he's been wrong before, he's been right before, so take this for what it's worth. It's not really a matter of being right or wrong on this. I just read this headline on Wednesday, and I tweeted about it, but I thought it was comical that there was a headline on 411 Mania from Wrestling Observer Radio. And it said, WWE may be giving up on No Way Jose. And I thought that was a bit of a weird headline. And I'm thinking, giving up? Like, when do they ever really start on No Way Jose? So I'm reading it, and they're like, oh, yeah, he lost uh, Mike Kanellis on on main event. What a waste. And yeah, it is a main event. First of all, that is a waste. Second of all, with main event and whatever, I think he's perfectly, a, a, a perfect good fit. A perfectly good fit for right where he is right now. No Way Jose was never going to be a mid-carder in WWE. He was not going to be going for the IC or U.S. Championship. I mean, maybe in a perfect world that they really built him up right. But the guy's even not really that good in the ring. He's okay. He had a really good match with Austin Aries at TakeOver a few years ago. Has not done anything of note since. Austin Aries took a shot at him for that on Twitter a few months ago, and he was right. He was not wrong. He was like, yeah, I gave you the best match of your career, kid. What have you been doing since? I'm the Impact World Champion. Where the fuck are you? He didn't say, where the fuck are you? But he basically did. I mean, no way Jose. Yeah, he's still employed. What is he doing? Facing Kurt Hawkins on main event? Like, but the thing with No Way Jose is that we all knew that when he got called up. That he was never going to be doing anything of note in WWE. He was just going to be spinning his wheels and just doing jobber stuff. Like, did he ever really do anything on the main roster anyway? He had that mini feud with Baron Corbin, who I think he beat once off a distraction from like Apollo Crews or something. Or Titus O'Neil or whatever. And that was it. That was the only real victory he scored on Raw that was noteworthy. Every other time I've seen him on Raw, he's either lost to either Mojo Raleigh or Baron Corbin or whoever, or just not on the show at all. So I don't really know where they're getting this giving up on No Way Jose. He was never going to be anything above a undercard competitor to begin with. I like No Way Jose. I go crazy every time I hear the music, but he was never destined for greatness anyway. Um, the guy really just kind of showed up in the post-WrestleMania Rock, as you know, people know it's a party. It's a lot like Adam Rose. I mean, with Adam Rose, they called him up way too soon, 
and the gimmick had potential, and they never really fleshed out the character. No way, Jose, we know nothing about him on Raw, except for the fact that he does conga dances backstage. That's about it. Um, Adam Rose did not last long at all. He was gone, actually, within like a year or two. I think he debuted in 2014, then got fired in 2016, maybe? Um, so he was around that for about two years, but he really didn't do anything in those two years. Honestly, shocked he lasted that long. No way, Jose, I'm not saying he should get fired by any means, but I'm just kind of surprised people are surprised by the fact that No Way Jose has not been treated as a star in the main roster. Did anyone ever really expect that to begin with? Like, I figured he might do better on the main roster on Raw than he ever did in NXT, just because NXT was never a great fit for him. I mean, the crowd was into him early on, but it got to a point, it's like, okay, the guy's a loser. He's not really going anywhere on NXT. He's been here now for two years. It's time to move on. And, you know, Raw is more sports entertainment-based as opposed to NXT. So I figured he would do a bit better on Raw, but I didn't think he'd be winning championships or anything, so I just wanted to note that. Anyway, from Raw on Monday night, we kicked off the show with Dean Ambrose once again, kind of teasing the possibility of moving away from the Shield. Charlie Caruso was asking him about it, what was going on through your head when you were, you know, deciding which team to choose, either Braun Strowman, Ziggler, McIntyre, or the Shield. Like, what's going through your head right now, blah, blah, blah. Baron Corbin comes out and says, I'll give you a couple options. You can either face... Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship on tonight's Raw. You can face Seth Rollins for the Intercontinental Championship on tonight's Raw. Or you can face Braun Strowman. Dean Ambrose wanted Baron Corbin. Corbin said, no, you're getting Braun then. So the choice was never really made, which was kind of a waste. But it really wasn't at the same time. Because Ambrose was confronted backstage a little later on in the night um, by both Roman and Seth. And Ambrose said to both of them, you know, I could be Universal Champion right now. I could be the Intercontinental Champion right now. So planting the seeds of dissension there I thought was good. I thought it was well done. I don't think Ambrose is turning on the Shield right now. I don't think he's turning on the Shield on Saturday. I think he'd have to be a fool to realize, to think that was happening. I mean, I like the fact they're building interest in the match. The match means nothing. I'll talk about in the pre- I'll, I'll talk about that in the preview for Super Showdown at the end of the episode, but you gotta be a real moron to think that Ambrose is actually leaving the Shield at this point. They just reunited, what, a month and a half ago? I'm not saying that Ambrose won't turn on the Shield at some point. He absolutely will. But still, um, I think it'd be ridiculous to pull the trigger on that anytime soon. So I thought this was well done. It, it definitely was a nice hook for the upcoming show for the six-man tag team match. But he's not going heel either on Saturday or anytime in the foreseeable future. So he did face Braun on the show. The match was good. Braun won by DQ after Seth came in the ring to, or Roman came in the ring to Dean Ambrose's aid, which Ambrose was not happy about. Roman Reigns was also in action on the show, taking on Dolph Ziggler. Match was great, thoroughly enjoyed it, um, you know, no bullshit, just a full-on clean finish, I like this a lot, never really any doubt that Roman was going to win, mind you, but as a match, I enjoyed it, but I do want to mention this, though, so Baron Corbin comes out before the match and says, oh, who are you to say that you could put the championship on the line, only I can say that, no more championship opportunities until Crown Jewel, so Baron Corbin punished Roman Reigns by saying that he can't defend the championship for a month. So he's punishing him by saying, you can keep your title. Like, what? Someone pointed out to me on Twitter that Stephanie said to Baron Corbin last week, you're being a little too generous with the championship opportunities, both with Baron Corbin and then with, didn't he defend it a week or so ago, like a few weeks ago? First it was Baron Corbin, then I think it was, didn't he defend the championship against someone else? I might be mistaken here. I know he faced Braun Strowman. A few weeks ago, I forgot. Anyway, that must have been what I'm thinking about. Uh, Baron Corbin from a few weeks ago. Anyway, um, 
So yeah, Roman Reigns and Dolph Ziggler had their little match. But yeah, Baron Corbin was like, yeah, you're not going to defend that championship. Ha ha ha. Like, that's supposed to be a threat. That's supposed to be a punishment, not having someone defend their championship. So therefore keeping the championship on them at least for another month. It made absolutely no sense. I thought that was so stupid. So dumb. And he said the same thing about Seth too. That there was going to be a non-champion, non-title match. And I think that would have made this match better. Now, again, Ziggler was not winning the Universal Championship. But still, um, I think it would have been a nice hook and, you know, given more people a reason to watch, especially they really got to make up for lost time here. Brock Lesnar was champion for a fucking year and a half and defended that championship, what, how many times? On, on one hand, I can count. Never on Raw, never on TV. It was always on pay-per-view. So they got to kind of make up for that by having Roman defend the championship on TV every now and again. Um, so Baron Corbin's punishment I thought was stupid. Speaking of champions in action, Ronda Rousey taking on Ruby Riot. A lot of R's. Roman Reigns, Ronda Rousey, Ruby Riot. A lot of R's on this show. Um, this was a good match. It was only over and within a few minutes or so. Ruby got some offense and I thought it was good. I thought it was she had a good showing here. I don't know why you would do a clean finish, though. I thought that was really stupid. Now, obviously, you weren't going to have Ruby win. That would be even dumber. But Ruby would make sense as a title challenger to Ronda down the road. So why the hell would you have Ronda beat her? Why not just have Ronda squash, maybe not Liv Morgan, after what happened last week. Poor girl, getting the uh, getting the shit end of the stick two weeks in a row if that happened. Okay, maybe not Liv Morgan. What about Sarah Logan? Why can't Sarah Logan go in there and get squashed by Ronda Rousey within a matter of minutes? I don't see why not. So anyway, um, I thought that was a bit weird. But the match was good. Ronda went over. Um, the Riot Squad attacked afterwards. The Bella Twins made the save. Six-woman tag team match on Saturday. Yay, like, who cares? Uh, Bobby Roode taking on Connor of the Ascension on this fucking show. So this was a, not a rematch, but Chad Gable lost to Connor last week, which was so stupid. Chad Gable losing to Connor, and then Bobby Roode retaliated by taking on Connor as well to kind of avenge the loss from Chad Gable, and he lost too. Bobby Roode and Chad Gable just lost to one of the biggest losers in the entire company, clean, two weeks in a row. Now, there was some interference here and some distraction at ringside from Chad Gable and Victor. That's kind of an out for Bobby Roode losing, but still. The guy went from going undefeated in NXT for a year, a fucking year, beating Shinsuke Nakamura twice. He beat Hideo Itami. He beat, uh, who else? Andrade Sin Almas beating Ty Dellinger, and now he's losing to fucking Connor of the Ascension on free TV. Glean! Glean. How stupid. Now, I know where this is going. I know they're about to turn Bobby Roode heel, and that's all well and good. Quite honestly, that should have happened a long-ass time ago. But it's still so stupid to even establish that Bobby Roode can lose to Connor. Because now we're going to get a feud between two guys who failed to be a member of the fucking Ascension. A team that has not been relevant in over four years. And that might be being generous. So again, this did no one any favors whatsoever. I like the idea of Bobby Roode going heel, but what does that even fucking mean if the guy's established as an enhancement talent? The guy's a loser. After that, speaking of losers, we had the B team against the Revival. Now, the Revival had a great performance last week against Ziggler and McIntyre. I mentioned this last week here on the show. Great match with Ziggler and McIntyre. I loved it. How do they follow up it on this week? Now, I know I mentioned it, first of all, last week, before I go any further. I mentioned last week, Vince McMahon, apparently a big fan of that match. Saw that performance from the Revival, was very impressed, as he should be. The Revival have not had that opportunity 
to really break out, have that good of a match on the main roster since they got called up a year and a half ago. So I'm glad that he was impressed. It was a great match. But how does WWE follow up on that? By having the Revival lose to the fucking B-team, who we have not seen since they lost the Raw Tag Team titles three or four weeks ago. Again, what a waste. What a waste. Any shred of momentum or buzz that the Revival had for the first time since getting called up was erased on Monday when they lost to the B-team clean. Now, I know what they're doing here. They're building up the B-team so they can lose to Connor of the Ascension. Uh... (laughs) Not, not Connor of the Ascension, I'm sorry. The Authors of Pain, which probably won't be much better. I'm just kidding. Um, they're being built up to lose to AOP at some point in the near future as AOP came out here and destroyed the B-team, thus making the Revival look like losers as well. And I'm glad AOP's getting a push. They had a great performance last week. Now, that's a good way to follow up on someone's performance. AOP, great showing against the Shield. Warren pinned, Baron Corbin was pinned, very good match, got time in the main event slot, perfect. That's how you make a new star. Not saying they're stars now on Raw, but step in the right direction. The Revival, great performance, very good match against two guys that are established, and Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre. What's the follow-up? Losing to the fucking B-team. Again, what a joke. What a joke. So I thought that was stupid. Um, but AOP is being built up, at least that's something. The best match in the entire show. We've seen it before, but I'll see it again. It's good. They work well together. Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre, real good stuff here. Rollins did lose to McIntyre after interference from Dolph Ziggler, so I would have to assume that McIntyre will get some sort of, hopefully, a championship shot at some point. He's now beaten Rollins twice. He pinned him a few months ago right before, um, what was it, Extreme Rules? And Rollins, I thought he regained the gold. He did at SummerSlam. And now we beat him again here. Now Rollins is indeed the champion. So I think McIntyre should get a shot at that championship and um, hopefully win. I mean, Rollins, it's not like he's doing anything with that championship right now. He could be. He was having a great run with that title earlier on this year. And I love the Shield, but the IC Championship feels like a complete afterthought right now because Rollins is too busy with the Shield stuff with Strowman, Ziggler, and McIntyre. I mean, it wouldn't be that much better on McIntyre right now because he's also in the thick of things on Raw. But um, still, I think it might be a nice change of pace. McIntyre is a former IC champion, won his first Intercontinental Championship. Get this, nine years ago. One of the biggest championship droughts in WWE history. Beat John Morrison for the belt at the inaugural TLC pay-per-view in December of 2009. Now, that's a blast from the past. Anyway, good stuff there. Kevin Owens taking on Bobby Lashley. The match was fine. The match was really kind of forgettable. Kevin Owens beat Bobby Lashley. What really was great here was Elias and Kevin Owens before the match, eliciting amazing heat, like historic levels of heat here from the crowd in Seattle, I think it was, and I'm pretty sure they were in Seattle for Raw this week. They mentioned the Sonics. Now, I know nothing about sports. Absolutely nothing. So I guess the Sonics were their basketball team, and they left to go elsewhere. Okay, Elias brings this up. He brings this up all the time. We hear about this on... Every show that he's a part of, he trashes the city that he's singing in front of. For whatever reason, Seattle loves their basketball, and Seattle loved their Sonics. So they were none too pleased with Elias on this show, that they were booing for minutes on end. This was tremendous. It seemed like everyone in the arena was booing Elias. Like the longest heat segment I've heard on a WWE show since Vicky Guerrero left four and a half years ago. This was amazing. The match itself was nothing special at all. But I thought the pre-match stuff was great. Bailey and Alicia Fox, who cares? Bailey won just merely to set up the mixed match challenge for the next night. Um, that where Bailey and 
uh, Bailey and Balor, Finn Balor beat Jinder Mahal and Alicia Fox. Who gives a shit? Bailey and, and Balor have never meant less on this show. It's such a shame. We have like the Shield and the top three heels and Strowman, Ziggler, and McIntyre, and then everyone else. No one else means no one else need, means remotely as much as those six guys I just mentioned. Aside from these next four guys, the Undertaker, Kane, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels. Now, I've loved the build of their match at Super Showdown. I really have, but it speaks volumes that they are involved seemingly weekly, and the best things on the entire show are Undertaker, Kane, Triple H, and Shawn. Uh, better than anything else anyone else is involved in on this show, including The Shield. That speaks volumes on how little the current roster means at the moment. And that's all on creative. It has nothing to do with the current roster. It has nothing to do with the competitors themselves. All to do with WWE and how they portray and present their talent. But anyway, Shawn Michaels comes out, talks, blah, 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 blah. Out comes The Undertaker. Undertaker, I think Kane comes out first. Then The Undertaker. They double-team Shawn. Triple H comes out. Full-on Attitude Era level brawl here between the Brothers of Destruction and Degeneration X. In the end, Taker and Kane laying out Triple H and Sean with uh, a pair of tombstones. I thought that was a very strong segment and sold me on the match of the pay-per-view on Saturday. I had no interest in seeing that match when it was initially announced a few months ago, but they have done a terrific job of making me care through these promos and through these segments. So bravo. I thought that was great. The only other really thing worth noting about this segment was that apparently Shawn Michaels is now bald. I don't know when he shaved his head. I know he got a haircut around WrestleMania time, and it was a big thing. Shawn's had his long hair. He's had the ponytail now for, what, 20, 30 years? Well over 30 years, if not longer. So it was a big deal when he lost it. Um, But his hair is completely gone now. Maybe he thought his hair was thinning, or he didn't look good with it. I don't know. But he shaved everything off. Now he looks like mini Triple H. So it's going to be interesting when we get that inevitable D-Generation X reunion match and they're wearing similar gear, I won't be able to tell one guy from the other. I know Triple H is a bigger build, so I don't know, bald Triple H never really bothered me as much. When he shaved his head, I don't know, he looked badass. Bald Shawn Michaels, I don't know if I can get over that. Smackdown real quick from Tuesday before moving to my predictions and previews and picks for Super Showdown on Saturday. Smackdown on Tuesday featured an AJ Styles address of Samoa Joe. Paige almost said, she almost fired Samoa Joe, she said, for his actions last week on the show, calling it the most one of the most heinous acts in WWE history, if not the most heinous act in WWE history, which she must not have been watching. She must not have a network subscription. She must have never seen Katie Vick, that whole storyline. Anyway, AJ said, sorry, I'm not at SmackDown tonight. I want to kick Samoa Joe's ass. I'll see you Sunday, blah, blah, blah. This was good. I'm liking the feud. I don't think Joe's winning on Saturday. I'll get to that momentarily, but this was good. R-Truth and Carmella beating Andrade, Sinalamas, and Carmella, or and, uh, I wrote them Carmella, Zelina Vega, excuse me. The match was fine. Um, R-Truth and Carmella are honestly a better pairing than I ever thought they would be. So props to them for that, for making it work. But, um, Almas and Vega deserve better than this. Now, I understand why they lost here. It's R-Truth and Carmella. They're the ones that are involved in Mixed Match Challenge, not Almas and Vega. I don't know why. If they're losing to R-Truth, then why the hell wouldn't they be involved in the show? Who cares? The guy loses almost every week anyway. It's not like, oh, we gotta keep him protected. We gotta keep him undefeated. Like... Almas has now lost to Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles multiple times on TV. Now our truth though. I mean, he wasn't pinned here, but still. So I thought that was weird. Um, the bar interrupting the New Day's pancake celebration. That was just complete shit. Total trash. Um, had no interest in that whatsoever. 
Randy Orton and Ty Dillinger were supposed to face off in the show before Dillinger just went right after Orton. The match never got started. Orton retaliated, attacked Dillinger, laid him out, and did some sickening thing with his fingers. Not nearly as disturbing as what he did to Jeff Hardy a few months ago, but it was uh, interesting, I guess. Breaking his fingers. Maybe now he can no longer do the fucking 10 shit. And he said he, he attacked Ty Dillinger. I mentioned this on the show last week, but he attacked Ty Dillinger because the perfect 10 crap was pissing him off. That's what he said. That's what Randy Orton said, so I can't blame him for that. I love Randy Orton as a heel, by the way. The guy's a complete dick. And it's exactly who he is in real life, or at least who he comes across as sometimes. So I, I love it. On, I love seeing it on TV. Aiden English revealed the salacious video of himself and Lana. Nothing to it at all. I mean, she said, I want you, Aiden. She didn't say, I want you, Aiden. She just said, I want you. Obviously, doctored footage. It got cut off before she could finish her sentence. Rusev says, a moron for not believing this. For not believing his own wife. And he's been painted as the jealous type in the past, but... It was very obvious that Lana was not finished talking when the video got cut off. So again, I, I knew they were going to write their way out of this. Lana would not be accused of um, an affair with Aiden English against Rusev. Obviously not, and it's a PG show anyway. But still, I thought that was uh, very silly. I mean, they could always improve from this point forward. I'm not optimistic, though. Shelton Benjamin and Daniel Bryan have a good match. Having a good, uh, having a good match here, I thought they had a real good affair for the time they were given. Uh, Shelton Benjamin did win, which was surprising. Benjamin never wins on TV. The same guy who beat Randy Orton back in April beat Daniel Bryan here. I mean, good on Shelton Benjamin, but it's like, the guy's never on TV. He has been on TV in months in a singles match. So I'm glad he's on the show, but it's like, where the hell has he been? It's not Benjamin's fault, but it's like, you have this guy, you brought him back. Why aren't you doing anything with him? You re-signed him for a reason, even if he was going to put people over. At least have him on the show. So I like the match, though. Asuka beating Peyton Royce in a matter of minutes. Complete throwaway match. No one cared. Just merely served as hype for uh, Super Showdown this coming Saturday. The tag team match pitting Asuka and Naomi against the Iconics. Then the main event segment pitting um, Charlotte Flair against Becky. Um, Charlotte came out to attack Becky, interrupt her, laid her out, got the upper hand for the first time in a while. It seems like Becky's really been getting the better of Charlotte every week now for weeks. Maybe they're trying to build sympathy for Charlotte, which is not working. People will always side with Becky over Charlotte. I don't know what about that they're not getting. And it's a shame because the feud's great otherwise, but people are really not buying into Charlotte as the sympathetic underdog babyface, because she's not. And now moving into my predictions for Super Showdown this coming Saturday from Melbourne, Australia. Should be a good show. I'm going to go through these quickly because a lot of these are pretty foregone conclusions. For the WWE Cruiserweight Championship, Australia's own Buddy Murphy taking on Cedric Alexander. Should be a great match. I love their first match on 205 Live. I think that took place in Cedric Alexander's hometown earlier this year. So only makes sense to even the score by having Buddy Murphy go over. Because if it's not Buddy Murphy, I guess you could put Leo Rush up against Cedric Alexander for the championship. But... I don't know, it just kind of seems right. Buddy Murphy's in his hometown. The guy's been doing some great work in 2019, or 2018, excuse me. I feel like it'd be a mistake to not put the championship on him here, so I'll go with Buddy Murphy. John Cena returned for the first time since Greatest Royal Rumble in April. The team with Bobby Lashley taking on Kevin Owens and Elias. Who cares? They've been trying to build this up on TV. Good for them. Cena's not even around to, to build it up. He's the guy's in China filming some stuff, so the match means nothing. It won't lead to anything either. We've already seen Cena and Owens a bunch of times. We've already seen Cena and Elias a few times. So, I don't really care about this match. But I do expect Cena and Bobby to go over. The New Day versus The Bar for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. New Day is winning. They just won the belts back in August. Um, the Bar would be fine tag team champions. But The New Day have a few more feuds to go through before they can drop the championships. Before they can drop the championships, I feel. 
The Iconics, Australia's own once again taking on Naomi and Asuka. Another match that would mean just nothing normally. I mean, Cena and Bobby means nothing anyway, but at least this match has more meaning because the Iconics are in their native Australia, which is great. I don't really care about the match itself, though. I don't know what the odds are of having the two or rather three you know, Aussie natives go over on the same show. Probably not too high given WWE's track record that, with that type of thing. But I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I'll say the Iconics go over here and beat Naomi and Asuka. I don't know how. I don't know. It won't really lead to anything other than just a rematch on TV two days later with Naomi and Asuka getting their win back probably in a matter of a few minutes. But at least the Iconics finally get thrown a bone because they've really been, I don't want to say buried on the main roster since they got called up. I think buried's a pretty strong word. But they have not been used all that well at all. The material in their promos is terrible. I have not seen one memorable Iconics match since they got called up. I never really saw too many memorable Iconics matches, period, in NXT. But at least they had a few good matches with Asuka for the NXT Women's Championship. Um, so there was that. But beyond that, I don't really care about this match. But I do hope and do predict the Iconics to go over here. Ronda Rousey teaming with the Bella Twins to take on the Riot Squad. Rousey and the Bella Twins will win. I mean, I guess Rousey could lose without being pinned, but just to establish tension between Brie and Ronda, but is that really necessary? Like, I don't think this is going to happen. I think they could do Ronda Rousey, the Bella Twins taking the Riot Squad on this show, have Ronda Rousey go over, and then set up Ronda and Nikki for Evolution later on this month, which has not received really any attention whatsoever. Not just that match. I mean, obviously it hasn't been announced yet, but the entire pay-per-view is just a complete afterthought at the moment. They had Alexa Bliss on Raw this week do one of those Moment of Truth segments a moment of bliss, excuse me, trashing Tristratus. But beyond that, we know nothing about the card. And the match has not been built up at all. It's not been built up whatsoever, aside from what we saw in Raw this week. But I expect this to be pure filler with Rousey squashing the entire Riot Squad without the help of uh, the Bella Twins. I assume it becomes Ronda and Nikki versus Sarah Logan and uh, Ruby Riot if Liv Morgan can't go. Hopefully Bree is not relied on too much in this match to do much at all. Daniel Bryan versus The Miz in a number one contenders match for the WWE Championship. This should be great. Um, I would expect Bryan to go over just because um, he's lost so many times now to The Miz, including at SummerSlam and at Hell in the Cell. He is due to be, he is due a big victory at some point. But I think, um, I don't know, I think Miz is going to win. I think people predicting that Randy Orton might interfere to attack Daniel Bryan and kick off that feud. I don't think Orton and Dillinger is a full-fledged feud, nor should it be. I think Bryan and Orton is the way they're going to go. Orton's not even on the show. So I think he will show up by attacking Daniel Bryan, giving Miz the victory. Miz goes on to contend for the WWE Championship, either at Crown Jewel or at Survivor Series or both. Um, Let's see here. For the SmackDown Women's Championship, Becky Lynch and Charlotte. I'm going to go off on a limb and say Charlotte wins. I don't want her to. I think Becky's doing amazing work right now. But I feel like they might flip-flop the championship a few times over the course of this feud, a lot like... Um, Charlotte and Sasha from a few years ago just to give Charlotte more championships. And Evolution's coming up. Maybe they have... I would rather keep Charlotte in chase mode. It won't affect the fact that she's being booed, I don't think. But they could do a... build to a big blow-off at Evolution. Some sort of stipulation match. Like a ladder match. Because we've seen the Money in the Bank women's ladder matches, but never a one-on-one women's ladder match in WWE. I think they held one in OVW. That was never televised for WWE TV, obviously. So that's what I would do at Evolution, personally. Uh, so I'm going to go Charlotte here. It really doesn't... I think Becky's going to win. I think Becky, there's a bigger chance of Becky winning, but I need one surprise pick on this show, so I'll go with Charlotte. The Shield versus Braun Strowman, Dolph Ziggler, and Drew McIntyre. Uh, I'm going to go with the heel trio. I think Strowman, not really Ziggler and McIntyre as much as Strowman, he needs the victory 
much more than the Shield does. He's getting a title shot at Crown Jewel coming up in early November against Strowman and Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. The guy has no momentum right now. The heel turn was a dumb idea. He lost at Hell in the Cell. He didn't really lose, but he has not won a big match in a while. In a while. So I would have Braun win here by pinning Roman Reigns. I think that's the best way to go. And the Shield will bounce back. They won't suffer really any 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 real damage by losing here. So I think it'd be a mistake if they um had the Shield win decisively. Now, I know they're teasing the Dean Ambrose thing. I don't think that'll factor into the finish at all because I don't think Dean Ambrose is leaving the Shield anytime soon. But I do think no matter what, Strowman is picking up the victory here for his team, hopefully by pinning Roman Reigns. Um, AJ Styles and Samoa Joe in a no-count-out, no-disqualification match for the WWE Championship. This should be tremendous. Um, I think the last two matches were great. Two of the better matches on those respective shows at Hell in a Cell and SummerSlam, respectively. This should be great. I think with Miz winning the number one contenders match, that AJ wins here. I really want Joe to win the belt. He's been doing great work in this feud. I, I don't see it happening, though. I just don't. I don't. So I'm going to say AJ wins, holds on to the championship for a little while longer. And then the main event, for the last time ever, but not really, according to WWE anyway, The Undertaker versus Triple H. And of course, it's already been announced that Shawn Michaels and Kane will be in the corners of Triple H. Did I say Shawn Michaels and Triple H? Uh, Shawn Michaels and Kane, excuse me, will be in the corners of Triple H and The Undertaker, respectively. That, to me, just all but confirms. We're getting the tag team match in Saudi Arabia at Crown Jewel, pitting DX against the Brothers of Destruction. It's happening. I mean, at this point, I'm not happy about Shawn Michaels coming out of retirement at this point, but I know it's happening. It's like you have to accept the fact that it's about to happen. You have to accept your fate. So, I mean, it might exceed expectations. It'll be cool. I'd rather see him just leave it where it is. Um, you know, leave or let die, or whatever the hell the phrase is. Um, you know, I thought he ended on a great note at WrestleMania 26. I would leave it where it is, leave, you know, just not mess with it. I thought he had an amazing retirement just to come out of retirement for, what, a stupid-ass tag team match that probably won't be that good in Saudi Arabia. That, to me, eh, seems like a waste, but it's his life. He's making money off it, probably a lot more money than he's ever made before and he's ever been offered before by WWE. So, um, yeah, but uh, this this should be good, I think, with all the... Bells and whistles, this could be entertaining. I think Triple H needs to win more. Taker has now lost, um, now won, excuse me. He beat John Cena in a, in a glorified squash at WrestleMania. And then Rusev, the greatest Royal Rumble. Triple H, I think, won a Survivor Series last year. Has not won a singles match in a while, though. It's been a while. He lost to John Cena, greatest Royal Rumble, and lost a tag team match, the mixed tag team match at WrestleMania. So he needs a bit of a, he needs a victory. Um, and I think a tag, and I think having him win here will set up that tag team match with Sean getting involved, super kicking Undertaker and Kane, whatever, um, eliminating the threat of Kane at ringside before attacking the Undertaker, costing him the win will therefore set up the tag team match for crown jewel next month. So those are my predictions for WWE super showdown this coming Saturday should be good. We'll not be watching live. Obviously the show is going to be airing at fucking four o'clock in the morning over here, five o'clock, whatever it is, East coast time. I'll be away anyway. I'll probably be watching the show. Maybe late Saturday night. I'll probably be around Saturday night to watch it, so I'll probably stay off social media till then to uh, uh, break it down and write a written review of Super Showdown for NextAirWrestling.net and also break it down here for WrestleRant Radio next week in our five-year anniversary show. So speaking of which, guys, thank you for your support of the show. Be sure to continue supporting the show by finding us on iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on Apple Podcast. Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get every new episode on Thursdays, but all the archived episodes dating back almost exactly five years to October of 2013. 
As for me, folks, you can find me on the socials on Twitter at WrestleRant on Facebook, facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, on YouTube at youtube.com backslash C backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, and on Instagram as well at Instagramamina, I-N-S, let's see, I-N-S-T-A-G-R-A-H-A-M-M-I-R-M-I-N-A. So follow me there on all the socials. We'll be back with an all-new episode of WrestleRant Radio celebrating five years of the show, breaking down Super Showdown and maybe doing some predictions for Impact Bound for Glory next Sunday. So with all that being said, guys, have a great rest of your week slash weekend. I'm Graham Jason Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road.